0: picture this you were always a big kid your mom referred to you lovingly as big Bone. but because you were active you were never considered obese but then you got married and had kids and then your marriage fell apart and now you're a single parent trying to juggle the emotional mess of divorce with taking care of the kids and focusing on your career and then your parents become ill very ill They both have strokes and there's complications with Alzheimer's and dementia. You're a single dad, and you and the kids move in with your terminally ill parents. You've long ago given up on any kind of self care routine or exercise, and now you find your weight tipping the scales at over 300 pounds. Your health continues to deteriorate, and the scale keeps rising until one day you find yourself in the hospital for a two week stay. By now, you're morbidly obese close to 350 pounds. And you're worried that you won't be around for your kids. What goes through your mind at a time like this? What hope do you have? Hello, and welcome to the over 50 health and wellness podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English, a certified nutritionist and personal trainer and founder of the silver edge. Our mission at the silver edge is to inspire men and women in their fifties, sixties, seventies and beyond to live their strongest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives. In today's episode, we talk with Trey Massey. Trey is a 62-year-old with an amazing transformation story. Five years ago, he was morbidly obese and in the hospital. Today, he's training for his next bodybuilding competition. Join us this week as Trey shares his amazing journey and how he's using this experience to launch his new company, If I Can, You Can Too. And now, on to today's show. Hello. My guest today is Trey Massey. Trey is a 62-year-old who five years ago underwent an amazing weight loss transformation. He went from 350 pounds to completing an Olympic distance triathlon and even winning his age division. Trey is the founder of If I Can, You Can Too, a business designed to create a positive space aimed at self-improvement, especially as it pertains to successful long-term weight management. Trey, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Kevin.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time. And I definitely want to talk to you about what you're doing today with your platform and your fitness. But let's back up and start at the beginning. What were you like as a kid? Were you an active boy?
1: I was active, but I was always heavy. It was kind of funny. Uh, I grew up playing soccer and tennis, and every summer I was on the swim team, local swim team. But I was always heavy set, and I ate generally like my friends. But I was always on the heavy side, so I was always challenging myself. And, you know, I remember as a kid doing those horrible carnation instant breakfasts because I thought maybe that would help me lose some weight. But, you know, long run, I realized it was just more sodium in my system, probably. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably so.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like then from early on, you, you had a base of activity. It sounded like you were on the swim team every year and doing some other things, but you were conscious of your weight as a child, right? I mean, it sounds like if you were talking about doing the carnation instant breakfast and certainly the folks over 50 will remember those. So when you were when you were a kid at that weight, how did that affect your self-image and yourself going forward?
1: I wasn't just so necessarily self-conscious but my, my brothers are twins and so they were very thin they're 10 years older than I was but they're always active and they're always thin and my parents were relatively thin and so I was the only one that was kind of heavyset so that you know my mom used to say oh you're just big bone." but you know I was active and in hindsight I know it was more of my diet and what I found later in life is that I have gluten sensitivity and many people will remember in our age group, what did you want to eat? Beefaroni, you know, Chef RD, anything. And so I had spaghettios, probably spaghettios or something with spaghetti twice a week. Well, all that pasta was just feeding my gluten sensitivity and inflaming a lot of my legs, especially. But I had no clue. And you know, my parents were saying, eat everything off of your plate. I wish I'd had that food. You know, when I was growing up in the depression, so you know, I knew I had to eat, and uh, that was just inflaming a lot of a lot of my glands, unfortunately, because I had the gluten sensitivity.
0: That's a good point. So, back then when you were a kid, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to relate to this, gluten sensitivity wasn't a thing. We didn't talk about that, right? There just wasn't a thing the way it is today. And there was a a philosophy of clean your plate, right? Our parents and our grandparents, like to your point, they grew up in maybe a depression era and that was a thing. That was very wasteful. You didn't leave food on your plate. And certainly... There was the prevalence, that was the heyday of convenience foods, right? So all these all these processed foods now are being made, and um, they're being marketed as, hey, if you're a busy family, this is a you know a quick and easy way to make a meal and you're not making things from scratch anymore. So a lot of things kind of combining there to affect your weight. So as you get on into say high school, are you do you still keep up with your activity? and what about your weight during those years?
1: Yes, I kept up with my activity. And I slimmed down, but I still never slimmed down like my friends. My parents were both teachers, and so we still had things out of a can twice a week. So all those sodium foods, which, you know, all the Chef Bordy had lots of sodium and lots of uh, gluten. And that's what they primarily were. They had no idea. And so I remember as a kid still wearing like a size 34, 36 pants. And, you know, whereas my friends were all 30s and 32s, and it was just very frustrating, but I was active. I mean, the blessing is that I was very active. So I swam a lot. I just had probably 30 pounds on everybody else.
0: Right. Okay. And so going from high school, then where does your journey go from there in terms of fitness and and health?
1: Sure, my journey from high school goes to college, and I was still very active. I played all the intramural things. I didn't, I should have done probably some collegiate sports, especially tennis. I was a big tennis player, but I just didn't. And partially that may have been just the added weight. But also part of it was just I wanted to buckle down on my academics. You know, I was fortunate to go to a small school, Amherst College, and we focused on academics there. But there's always a weight issue because I just always had, I was just always a little bit bigger. It wasn't that I was, I was heavy necessarily, but I was definitely, you know, larger. It's just, as I said, my mom used to call me big bone and I was never necessarily fat. I never had, I never had like the huge belly until later in life, but my thighs were always huge comparatively speaking.
0: Yeah. So not, not necessarily obese, certainly, but just bigger than your peers. And you were conscious of that. You, it sounds like you had tried some things and just weren't successful in in slimming down to their size. And to your point, you know, you may have been bigger had you not been so active. Sounds like you, you just remained active for, for quite some time.
1: I, 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 I'm always afraid what would happen if I was active, but you know, I was still wearing, some people will be familiar with this, I was wearing size, you know, Husky pants, Is what they call the back of the day.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: I was wearing Huskies all my life when I was younger.
0: All right. So we got you through your childhood, through high school and, and college. Now you're out. I'm assuming we're going to start a career and things are going to get maybe busy. At, at what point do you go from a Husky to to large?
1: Well, I started getting larger when I started working and I moved to Kentucky and I got married. And when I first got married, I I wasn't that large. I was probably about 215, which is good size. I'm 5'11". So it was, you know, still on the heavy side, but it wasn't obese, you know, it wasn't morbidly obese, which is what I eventually became. But after we had kids and unfortunately it was a failed marriage, I ended up being a single father, and I I had all three kids at various times during the marriage, which is very unusual. I, at the time, I was in North Carolina, and because of the challenges, I actually ended up having the kids and being granted the kids by North Carolina court. And so I had challenges in making food for them, and I have a caregiver gene, which basically means I take care of everyone else but myself. And, you know, that's something I've been working on in the last few years. But as a caregiver, I had no problem cooking and doing the things for my family. But I'm a Southern cook. And if you know anything about Southern cooks, we cook. Even if you're cooking for two, you cook for 10.
0: Yeah. So
1: that. Yeah. Uh, You know, fortunately, when I was cooking for the family, I cook and uh, there'd be a lot of leftovers. And that old, when I told you when I was growing up, I heard, don't waste the food, don't throw it out. And So there's probably a little bit more than I ate than I should have just because I didn't want to waste it. And for some reason, my kids, which is very different from me, do not eat leftovers. I don't know where they got that from, but they just don't. And I talk to other friends, they don't either. And so I ended up eating what I made and then made some more the next day. So that just added to the weight. You know, I wasn't cooking healthy at the time. I was cooking macaroni and cheese and meatloaf and all those good comfort foods that just add pounds.
0: Yeah. So sounds we can pick that apart a little bit. sounds like a whole lot going on in this part of the story, right? Were you active during this time?
1: I was active initially. But then I became, when I became the single parent, I really lost a lot of my personal activities and my activities more centered around the activities of the kids. And so a lot of it was sometimes for school, I'd make brownies. You know, sometimes I'd go to their soccer games or whatever sports games they had and just a lot of it centered around them. But I right. love it, so I was still cooking.
0: Okay. I think a lot of us can relate to this part of Trey's story. He certainly has his hands full. He's a single dad coming out of a failed marriage, and he's busy with trying to take care of his kids and keep focused on his job, and he's in full caregiver mode. But the one person he's not caring for is himself. And I think many of us can relate to this. We feel obliged to give everything to our children, to our careers, and we forget how vital self-care is. When we're so focused on others, it's easy to forget about ourselves. But taking the time, really creating the time to take good care of ourselves, means that we show up as better versions of ourselves for our children, our careers, our spouses. And I think too many of us miss this fact. So Trey's a long ways away from eating healthy, and his physical activities have pretty much come to a halt, and things are about to get worse.
1: And actually, we moved to Maryland. And I had two plants at the time. One was in New Jersey and the other was in North Carolina. So I'd stop in Maryland to watch, you know, see how my parents were doing. And my parents ended up having, one had Alzheimer's and the other one had dementia. And eventually I realized that I either had to put them into some type of assisted living place or I had to come home and help. And the caregiver and me said, okay, I'm going to come home and help. And so the kids and I came back home. And they grew up in the same house I grew up in because I had to, you know, take care of my parents. It, you know, it actually worked out well. I, I had someone to help and I had a full-time job. But, you know, with all the stressors and everything else, I still, you know, I still made it work. If you ask me what I did during the day, I had no clue because my days probably started at 4 o'clock where I was ma- making sure all the kids clothes were clean, making sure the homework was done, making sure their breakfast was ready, you know, and then getting them out the door, and then making sure my parents were okay, then making sure their uh, caregiver for them was there, then going off to work and doing a full-time job and then coming back and making sure homework was done at night and just all sorts of little things. It was crazy. You know, if you ask me what I did for cuz it was probably about a 10-year period where that, where that happened. And if you ask me what I did during that period, I have no clue. I was just purely on automatic pilot, but I was still cooking, doing the things we had to do. But as a result, I was just gaining weight and weight. And the next thing I knew, I was close to 350 pounds.
0: Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about. We had talked about kind of as a kid. You. It sounds like maybe you weren't so self conscious. It didn't impact you that negatively. What was it like for you as an adult? And and maybe it wasn't that big of a deal because you didn't have time to really dwell on it. It sounds like. But what was your emotional state and your kind of your sense of self worth at that weight? Uh, What I'm trying to get at is where is that point where you made the change? Well,
1: the the point at the Let me back up. There really, really wasn't a, or I had no feelings in terms of lack of self confidence, etc. Because it happened so gradually in a really strange way that it was just me. And so, even though I was 350 pounds, I didn't see it when I looked in the mirror. I mean, that's the crazy thing about dysmorphia, one way or the other is that even if you are 350 pounds, at least for me, even though I was 350 pounds, I didn't see 350 pounds. And did I have problems with my asthma? Yes. Did I have problems when I'd walk with my kids? Yes. But did I did it really say again that that was a problem? No. Which was kind of, you know, in hindsight, I, I find it hard to believe, but that's just the way... Uh, my mind interpreted it. Now, when did I make the change? The change happened when the kids started, you know, leaving the house and growing up. And slowly but surely, my parents passed away. They had strokes. And I also had two brothers, and they had strokes. And they were 10 years older than I was, but so I ended up taking, helping to take care of them too. Well, guess what? If you've got four people in your family that have strokes... And there's probably pretty just disposition that you could have a stroke. So that came to my mind as well as, you know, what do I need to do to get rid of some of those risk factors? So I won't have a stroke because I did not want to do to my kids. What was done to me in terms of having to take care of everybody. And I didn't want to find out if they had the caregiver gene or not either. And uh, so what I did was just come to the realization, hey, I don't have my family any longer, and my kids have grown up. Guess who I can take care of for the first time in a long time? Me. And, you know, that took a lot of things. And probably the two things I've learned on the journey is forgiveness and patience. And patience was that as a single parent, I didn't have time to to really be patient. You know, if I didn't do anything, the kids' clothes wouldn't be clean. You know, their homework wouldn't be done. So I had to do everything now, 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 which is nuts. But that was the mode I was in. That was the mode I was in for about 10 or 15 years. Only recently have I learned, well, you know what? Now, if I don't get food, it's me. That's not a big deal. And I can be patient and I don't have to do things immediately. I can think through things. And the other one is forgiveness. And forgiveness is so many prongs to it. You know, there's one forgiveness that I forgive you. There's another one that you forgive me. And the whole thing is that learning that if i forgive forgiving myself so that if I cheat on a diet or whatever, it's okay. And that was one of the big things I learned is that it's not about cheating and that type of thing for dieting. It's more about learning how to properly eat. And so... What happened when I I got on this road to finding proper nutrition, that's when I found out, or I've actually, I was watching TV and I saw this guy running around in a bacon suit. And that was, it was Abel James and he did the wild diet. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically a paleo way of eating. And so I read that and I learned how to eat paleo and talked about proper nutrition and organic food, and that type of thing. And that coincided with a Biggest Loser contest at work. And I'm very type A and competitive. So I entered the Biggest Loser contest and started eating paleo. And I learned, well, I was 300 you know, plus pounds so that I could easily lose weight. Because any type of, when you're that heavy, almost any type of diet you're on, you'll lose weight. Because you're throwing out all the other junk. So I lost 40 pounds and actually won the contest. But in doing that, I started going through sites and learning about the way I was eating. And I found this company named Labrata Nutrition. And Labrata Nutrition just had different products that appealed to me. They had something called EFA Leans, which was basically essential fatty acids. And learning that, you know what, it's okay to eat. You know, you need to eat some fats or have some fats in your diet. So, Labrada really turned things around in terms of learning their products. And uh, they had a contest uh, too. They had a transformation contest that I entered. And they also had this great support website that I still belong to, that uh, a lot of us just talked back and forth on and gave each other support. And they have just incredible information on nutrition that I learned how really to properly. And learned more about carbs and proteins and vegetables and learned, you know, what portion size I should have and that type of thing. And so that's when I probably started using supplements. But it wasn't just a protein drink twenty four seven. It was, you know, that was just part of what I was eating.
0: So it sounds like initially there was Obviously, you had to do some dieting. You needed to be in calorie deficit. But it sounds to me like before this time in your life, you really hadn't thought about nutrition. You were cooking, good old Southern cooking, which most of us know, those of us here in the South, I'm in North Carolina, that, You know, there's a lot of fat in that. And you're right. We tend to cook a lot and we have leftovers and et cetera. So, it's, you, you were introduced to a, this paleo diet. And about the same time, there's this biggest loser challenge at work. To your point, you've got this competitive edge, you get in there, and now with a little bit of newfound knowledge on nutrition, coupled with a desire to win this contest and and lose some weight, you had some great success. You said you lost 40 pounds, I think, in that won that contest. And then onto the Labrata, you kind of got connected with those folks and started really deep diving into nutrition, starting to understand macronutrients and the importance there. At what point did you discover the gluten intolerance?
1: Actually, just a little bit before that, I was one of my best friends in life. I was at his house and, you know, he started a gluten diet and his wife is a doctor. And she was saying, you know, you should try this test. And so I decided to try this gluten test. It was just a cotton swab that I sit in. And it came back that I had gluten sensit- sensitivity. You know, it wasn't celiacs, but it was gluten sensitivity. And so a big piece of my evolution was finding out that, you know, pastas and all those things inflamed my system so that once I cut those things out, the breads and the pasta, it was amazing the difference. And, you know, the blessing is what's amazing to me is that my pant size now is smaller than it was in junior high school.
0: Yeah. And there's a video and I'll put the link to the video in the show notes, but there's a video of you with the pair of pants that you used to wear and, and wearing the ones that you wear now. And it's, it's quite, quite a difference now. So you've had quite a health journey. I believe I saw maybe in one of those videos as well, or maybe read this in, on your site, but about five years ago, you were really, really sick, right? Then you spent a couple of weeks in, in a hospital? So talk to us a little, a little bit about that and how how did that or maybe didn't that play into your weight loss journey?
1: Oh, yes. Five to six years ago, actually, I'm an I'm a chronic asthmatic. And so I would find myself going to the emergency room probably on a regular basis every three to six months. And what would happen is that different things, I mean, I had double pneumonia one year that I almost didn't get out for Christmas now. What did happen is I got this drug that was very bad for me as a result of that and it impacted my kidneys. And as a result, I went straight into the hospital. It took probably about two weeks going back and forth because I had this fever and everything else but no one could really tell me what was going on. And so finally my primary doctor looked at my white cell count and said, you need to go to the hospital immediately. And so I went to the hospital and they told me my kidneys were malfunctioning and it was very scary to be about 330 to 350 pounds in a hospital and being told there was a very good chance that I, you know, I might have to go on dialysis. Finally, luckily they found out what the drug was and they put me on the correct antibiotics and now... You know, I'm at 99% full functioning, but my, I think it was called my basal rate was terrible back then. And, you know, that was probably my, my whole thought process is that, you know what? I don't want to ever be this helpless again, 330 pounds in a hospital about to lose my kidneys, you know, about to go on dialysis. You know, it's not, it's no way to live. And I saw You know, I saw my parents, saw my brothers with strokes, and I just did not want to ever be in that position again. So that was part of my catharsis is that, okay, now, you know, what is a bigger wake up call than being in the hospital at 330 pounds? I don't know of one, especially if you've got a history of stroke. So that was part of my determination is that I've got to do something about this weight. I've got to do something about my health as well as just I realized that the journey is not just about health, it's about what what goes into that you know that health as well as what got you there. So that's also when I started seeing a uh, mental health professional too, a counselor to help me understand. And so you know I, I started finding out more about just bad habits in running right my family and that I had. And so, it wasn't just a prong approach about learning nutrition, it was just the full, you know, I'm very spiritual too, so relying on my faith and trying to figure out what I need to do to correct where I was going.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like as you're having this catharsis in the hospital, right, that certainly would be a a wake-up call. Obviously, you're realizing that your health is is pretty important, and at that point, your health was pretty poor, uh, very poor. And you know, we've described a little bit about your evolution and in, in researching nutrition. That's going to be one facet, but to your point to be a holistic, healthy person, there's a lot of components there, right? You had, you had right. referenced kind of a, a mental health side of that. There's an emotional and social side to that. There's a spiritual component that for, for a lot of folks, and there's an activity piece of that as well. And I, I want to kind of pick apart a couple of those. Let's start maybe with the, the activity. Cause we, we know we read out in the beginning of the, the intro here that you completed the triathlon. And spoiler alert, you also ended up going on stage as a bodybuilder. So we'll get to that as well. But talk to us about, you had that background in swimming. You had that background in physical activity, which obviously you weren't doing at this point. How did you bring that back into your life?
1: Well, as I said, I got connected with the Labrata people and I just had, started having physical challenges. And I, as I said, I'm a, I'm a very type A person. So, you know, the first challenge really was to to win that Biggest Loser contest at work. And then I had another challenge where I was going to lose a certain amount of weight at a, at a time. What happened was kind of funny. You know, along the journey, you meet different people. And one of the people I met was an MMA fighter. And we had a challenge that if I look, I had to lose a certain amount of weight which was a welterweight weight which is 170 pounds by the fighters fight and I actually lost I got to 166 pounds and so that was kind of the challenge and that was through proper eating and that type of thing. Then the next challenge was that I had to complete an Olympic triathlon and had I ever done it, any type of triathlon before? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm not a runner, believe me. And so, you know, the thought of doing a 10k after swimming, and after biking, was I wasn't looking forward to that necessarily. But I did it, and you know, it was just amazing that I was able to complete that challenge. And I was kind of the last man standing. That's why I won the first place. But, you know, it was pretty amazing. I got to the finish line and they gave me my little ticker tape and it said first. I went, huh? But it, it was amazing. And so I won a first place award for my age group, which is great. So I, I figured, you know what? I don't think I'll ever do better than that. So that's the end of my Olympic triumph.
0: Go, go ahead and retire right there, huh? Got uh- it. Talk a little bit about what it felt like, what emotions were going through your head as you crossed that finish line.
1: It was, I guess the biggest emotion was what a blessing that I I could get out of my comfort zone and the thought that I could do an Olympic triathlon was kind of daunting. But you know what? It was more like, hey, you're 60 now, time to get out, you know. I want to be able to keep challenging myself and do things out of my comfort zone. You know, getting my weight down to 166 was definitely out of my comfort zone, but it was a challenge and I did. You know, trying to figure out how to to train for Olympic triathlon, but the thought that I could bike and run and swim was totally out of my comfort zone. But I said, you know what? I said at the beginning of the year, I'm going to try this for my 60th birthday. And I did it. And crossing that finish line was just like, wow. And it was just a blessing. (laughs) Celebrating
0: that victory, right? Yes. Okay. So obviously you had to do all the preparatory work for that. So not all my listeners are going to know the distance of an an Olympic triathlon. What are the distances for the the swim, the bike, and the run on that?
1: Sure. A 1,500-meter swim, a 40-kilometer bike, and then a 10-kilometer run.
0: Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's, those are some legitimate distances, especially if you've not swam, biked, or run those distances before. So yeah, hats off to you. That's, that's fantastic. But your fitness journey doesn't end there, right? What comes the next?
1: There was a bodybuilding contest that was being held in my high school. And it was about a week and a half before my birthday. So I say, that's perfect. And what I did was then, I, I have a, a trainer whose name is Aaron Nemo or Nemo and I talked to him and I said look this is what I'd like to do do you think it's possible and as I said this journey has been one of those things that along the way you meet different people and so through the internet I found this incredible trainer and he you know he's probably in his mid-twenties and so So we talked, but we hit it off. And I told him, look, at 60, I'm not going to push through anything. If I feel pain, I stop. There's certain things that you have to understand. And he was, yeah, I agree with you. I have no problem with that. And so he gave me just a training routine. And I worked through it and I adjusted it for my age. And that was two or so, two or three years ago. And I've been working with him ever since because he gets it. He understands that at my age, there are things I will not do, and there are things I should not do, and he also understands macronutrients and that type of thing, and so he had done bodybuilding contests, so he gave me tips and that type of thing, and I worked for about five months to be show ready, and it was incredible. I won two firsts and two seconds for the contest. And, you know, it was just amazing. And I uh, thought that I could have a six to eight pack and I've never had any surgery, I've never taken any magic pills. That bodybuilding contest was all natural because I thought it was important to do that. So I got tested. It was just such a blessing. And, you, you know, I, I think part of the problem is is that people assume that if you lose that much weight, you're going to have to have surgery, and that type of thing. But I, I believe, you know, I think some of it you will have to have certain people. I think their skin isn't that necessarily as elastic as mine. But I also think others lose it so quickly, the body isn't even allowed to adjust. So if you lose 180 pounds or 150 pounds in three weeks or, you know, three months, it's a lot different for me where I lost it over like a two to three year period. So my body was able to adjust. So, yes, you know, there are parts of my, my body where you see, you know, fat or, you know, extra skin. Yeah, but it's not what I would say gross or disgusting or needing a surgery. It's just, you know, I lost a lot of weight.
0: Yeah, yeah, I sure did. And to your point. You lost a lot of weight over a long period of time, right? And you didn't gain that weight very quickly. Nobody does, and I think that a lot of our culture, especially kind of this instant gratification culture that we live in, we expect this weight loss in in a lot of time. And and marketers and other people grab a hold of that, right? Hey, you can lose ten pounds in ten days, and you know maybe you can, maybe you can't. But whether you should do that is another discussion altogether. It takes a long time to accumulate excess weight and if done responsibly it takes a long time to lose that weight right i think you had mentioned that less than going on a diet more you change the way you you ate and it was an it was an evolution i imagine it still is right it's i, I think that nutrition's more of a journey and less of a destination is that is that fair
1: it's a lifestyle I mean, it's I, a lifestyle yeah i thoroughly enjoy what i do fortunately as i said i was a single parent so i i know how to cook cooking's an issue let me back up a little bit. One of the things I didn't understand in this journey is how to eat properly. And so I would regularly skip breakfast and, you know, try to have a small lunch and probably eat a lot for, for dinner and a lot of unhealthy things for dinner. So the pastas, as I said, all the things that were inflating my, my systems. Well, as I went through this journey and learned more about my, my nutrition, I ate breakfast and, you know, I love having oatmeal and eggs and, you know, especially learning through paleo, I would have paleo bacon and paleo bacon and eggs was wonderful. I mean, that's what really probably allowed me to start this journey because it was something I loved and it tasted great. And now that I'm more careful, my, my uh, nutrition I don't have as much bacon as I normally would, but I still have the oatmeal with blueberries or strawberries, as well as eggs. And, you know, I season it all up and, you know, it's great. And it's a great way to start the day. And then I have a a really nice prep lunch, such as now I use a company called Trifecta for a lot of my nutrition. And so what's really great about them is that they have these fully organic, comb delivered meals. That have all my macronutrients. And so I have organic chicken and the vegetables as well as the carbs.
0: So, yeah, I just want to point out there that you're talking about this amazing weight loss transformation and the way you describe what you're eating is... Delicious and wonderful, right? You're not. It doesn't sound like you're denying yourself things that that you like necessarily. Obviously, if you're going to lose weight, you have to be in a calorie deficit. That's just a that's just a mathematical given. But you're eating things that you enjoy. It sounds like you're still eating things that you enjoy. you had mentioned paleo a couple of times. Are, are you still eating primarily paleo, or was that more something that got you on the journey?
1: That was more of the journey, and I don't know if I stop eating paleo because paleo still is on I mean, the. The uh, vegetable and carbs side more clean carbs and vegetables, which is you know what I do, I eat organically as much as possible. And so, to that effect, yes. And even on the uh, meat side, the protein side, I will have grass-fed steak, wild-caught fish, and the chicken is organic too. So you know that's all paleo. Mm-hmm. So yeah. kind of, sort of, it's
0: okay, paleo-ish, and that's that's fair enough. Yeah. Well, let's let's segue a little bit. I want to talk about what you're doing today in terms of resistance training or just in terms of the activity side. I see on your Instagram, it looks like you're getting after it fairly regularly. What does a typical workout week look like for you?
1: Sure. Typical workout week is I usually work out five times a day where I will go, I will wake five, up- Five times a
0: day? Huh? Five times a week.
1: Sorry, five times a week. Okay. Yep. wake up. I mean I love what I'm doing so I usually wake up between 4 and 5 and go to the gym and the gym opens at 5 so I'm usually at the gym between 5 and 6 and do about an hour to an hour and a half of weightlifting followed by uh an hour of cardio which you either will be swimming you know I either swim 40 laps or I will do an hour of a uh, spin class And, you know, the blessing is that I can do it and feel very comfortable. And then sometime in the evening, I will probably take a nice Epsom salt bath, which I highly recommend for people who work out a lot. I didn't do it at first, but now that I I work out a lot, I find that Epsom salt bath is wonderful for the muscles. I don't nearly have the charlie horses in the middle of the night that I used to. Yeah. And it's very relaxing to go to bed, too.
0: And that leads me into my next question. So it sounds like you're very active, right? I mean, if you're five times a week, you're putting in, sounds like, some resistance training as well as some cardio training, both of which obviously are important for healthy aging. And my next question was going to be, what do you do for recovery? Because clearly, at, at your age, recovery is not the same now as it was back when you were a much younger person. So you had mentioned the salt baths. What? And you mentioned the nutrition, which are going to be two key pieces of recovery. What else do you do in terms of making sure that you're recovered and able to do all this work?
1: Well, the one thing I learned how to do, and it's easier when you don't have the kids or the parents at home, is sleep. Sleep is probably the key to any type of recovery and very underrated. And I probably get between six and eight hours of sleep. And I try to get closer to eight. But my guess is I probably get around six good hours of sleep. And that's the blessing is that especially as I've learned my health has improved, I can sleep better. And so that's the key to recovery is sleeping and also just taking care of my body in terms of just, you know, there's a, a spiritual and mental component to this whole thing, too, and I take time to say prayers, to say how grateful I am for things, mantras, and all those things that help me to recover because I'm a better person when everything's relaxed. As well as I said, you know, twice a month I I talk to a mental health counselor, and that just helps me make sure I'm still on the right track, doing the right things, and I'm in such a better place, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a very holistic um, approach to recovery then. You had mentioned sleep, one of my favorite recovery strategies, and I agree that it is very, uh, I don't know why, but it's just overlooked so much these days, but sleep makes literally everything better. If we're going to talk about recovering from workouts in the gym, it makes that better. It makes life better in general. So definitely with you there. And you had mentioned a couple other modalities of making sure taking care of yourself spiritually and emotionally. And we'd mentioned faith a couple of times now in our conversation today. Can you just take a minute and talk maybe about the role of faith as and its role specifically in this transformation journey for you? It sounds like it's been important to you your whole life.
1: Sure. Faith has been important to me my whole life. What's the blessing is that, as I said, I'm in the town where I grew up. And as a result, I go to the church where I grew up. So that I'm going to the same church that I went to 50 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, that's just an incredible blessing because there are people that you see every week that you don't realize it, but after time, they know you better than almost anybody because they see you almost as much as your family. And as I said, one of the blessings for me is that when I lost all my family members, you know, all of a sudden I would hear things and say, you know, at the various repasts and that type of thing for my family, funerals, oh, such and such said something about you like that. And I was like, how'd they know that? And I realized, oh, they know me for 50 years. Of course they know that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially during this pandemic, we have something called Zoom Chapel. And so I'm still connected with my church. And the great thing about this, too, is that I've been able to get people involved in the church more actively. Well, you know, a pastor, she's always uh, asking me questions and she's joined the gym and uh, she constantly credits me with being one of her inspirations which is such a blessing, but she also knew me at 350 pounds so that she now knows me at 180-something, so that she knows the transformation is real. And that's the blessing, too, is that all the people at church know how real the transformation is, so they've been able to support it. Now, were they always supportive? No. You know, the ladies at the church at one time were going, oh, you're losing a little bit too much weight, you know. (laughs) I don't think that's good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I understand their heart was in the right place, but they didn't understand the nutrition and that type of thing. And so once I got them on board and say, look, I'm not starving by any means. I'm just eating the proper foods. And as I would talk to them, it was like, okay. And everybody's been so supportive. Once they got over that piece, because part of the whole journey for health and fitness is that you know they're going to be people along the way that will be obstacles, rightly or wrongly. Oh, you can have another piece of cake. Oh, don't worry about these brownies. It's okay. You've been so good. And yeah. it's like, no, I don't want it. And don't get me wrong. If I see a good slice of pizza, I get it. <laughs> you know, I try to make it gluten-free, but even if it's not gluten-free, one slice of pizza is not going to kill me. You know, two slices of pizza isn't going to kill me. The day after the the last bodybuilding contest I did, which I believe was back in August now, in Florida, I had a whole pizza.
0: <laughs> yeah. cannoli. I had a cannoli, right? Yeah.
1: And it was wonderful. And, you know, I'm not going to stop eating things I like, but I'm going to be careful. And especially if they have gluten in it, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it every so often. So, like, do I have cookies in my refrigerator? Yes, but you know they're they're gluten free that I can pop in my air fryer and have two or three cookies and satisfy my sweet tooth. But do I have you know? Do I have to have them? No. And have they lasted in my my refrigerator for more than a week? Yes. Yeah. Which uh, for me is pretty incredible because you know I tell this story about. Prior to this health journey, there was and, and still today, there isn't a vanilla wafer that I haven't liked. And so if I bring a box of vanilla wafers in the house, the next day, there will be no vanilla wafers in the house. It's just one of the things I like. So part of my journey is learning not to bring vanilla wafers in the house.
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, and that brings up a good point. So you've been at this for some time now. It's a, I think about probably five years you've been into this transition, into, into the second act, into this healthy version of yourself. What do you do? I'd love to hear your thoughts on staying motivated. And then kind of the other side of that coin is being disciplined, right? And the two kind of go hand in hand. Give us your thoughts on motivation and discipline in your life.
1: Sure. I think motivation is just uh, one is that knowing that I can have a vibrant life and do things and not be a burden to my kids. And so my kids are in their 20s and early 30s now. And I love being able to talk to them in that type of thing, but not relying upon them for anything. Unfortunately, my brothers at my age were already relying upon their kid, his kids. They had, had strokes. And so I don't want to be that type of burden. And also, it's so much fun going to the gym and kind of being the old man, but no one looking at you that way. And more like, wow, you're 62? And they don't even realize my age, but they know I'm hitting it. It's kind of motivating to keep the young whippersnappers in line and showing them that, you know what, I can do things at my age too. And they'll say, wow, you swam after that? Yeah. Or do a spin class? Yeah. And, the, you know, what's really funny is when they do a spin class and they, they think, oh, I can do it with this guy. And all of a sudden I'm going at it. And they're like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just wonderful for them to realize the type of shape I'm in. And it's just motivating because it's just such a blessing. And what's amazing is I just had my DEXA scan done a couple days ago, and I've got fifteen point nine percent body fat, which for an old man ain't too bad. And last fifteen, and so I'm you know point nine percent body fat. I've gained over a year, but part of that is just because I'm doing it. I'm actually doing what they call a lean, uh, lean bulk, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) because of the bodybuilding side.
0: Okay. Hold up. I just want to make sure we all caught that. Trey has struggled with weight his entire life. I mean, complications from his obesity landed him in the hospital for two weeks with the prospect of having his kidneys removed. He spent years losing that weight and now he's talking about doing a lean bulk. He's talking about purposefully trying to gain weight. For those of you not familiar with that term, lean bulking is a weight gain strategy that bodybuilders use. The idea is to eat healthy and to gain weight slowly, hopefully adding primarily muscle and as little fat as possible along the way. The other strategy that bodybuilders use is often referred to as a dirty bulk. In a dirty bulk, bodybuilders eat more or less indiscriminately, doing everything in their powers to put mass on their bodies. This type of weight gain strategy usually adds considerable amounts of both muscle and fat. And in both cases, the bodybuilder will attempt to bulk up by eating a surplus of calories along with a strenuous workout and then diet back down to desired body fat percentages. So Trey worked on gaining eight pounds over 12 months. And in his case, he gained six pounds of muscle and only two pounds of fat.
1: When I first went on the internet and started reading all this stuff, oh, you can't gain muscle when you're over 50. And no, that's wrong. You that is wrong. Muscle.
0: That's absolutely right. Yeah.
1: Your body, as long as you train it, as long as you eat properly, as long as you sleep, you can gain muscle. You know, I'm, I'm in much better shape than I was in my 20s. There's no doubt about it. Are my muscles strong? Absolutely. And everyone around me, all my friends can tell you that. So, you know, you can change your life and you don't have to take pills or operations to do it. You just have to be determined. Is that what motivates me? Absolutely. And it's fun. You know, I, I really hate seeing stereotypes. So I love being able to break stereotypes. And Don't tell me I can't gain muscle. Don't tell me I don't have a six pack. It's just it's fun being able to do it. I mean, the thought. might I wear a size thirty pant, a size thirty eight suit. Huh? Yeah. And you you seen my pictures? Mm-hmm. I had you know I can remember a size forty eight pant being tight.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a big difference in waist size. Yeah, that's right. Well, thanks for sharing that. I love that you mentioned that you had read somewhere on the internet that older people can't build muscle. And clearly that's false. And not only is it false, but the same principles that work for the 20 year old work for those of us over 50, right? I mean, it's, it's, you got to have the, you got to dial in your diet. You got to have a, you got to be consistent. You got to have progressive overload. You got to have proper recovery. But you just have to be dedicated to it. And I've, all of the guests on my show are over 50, and or and well, most of the guests are, and they're, they're fit, they're strong, they're healthy, they're competent, they're confident, and they're capable. It's just, it's fantastic. And to your point, that's not the stereotype when we say, hey, close your eyes and imagine a, somebody 60-something. It's not somebody with a six-pack. It's not somebody that's muscular and strong. That, hats off to you. That's, and I can see how that can be certainly motivating for you.
1: Yeah. All right, I, There is one thing. You still have to be safer now. I do not recover like I did at a 20. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So a lot of the, the
0: training principles apply, but there, yeah, there are some differences clearly. And recovery is probably the biggest one, right? For, for those of us in the over 50 crowd. So let's switch gears just a little bit and tell us about, we talked about at the very beginning, you've got a, a new business going up. It's called If I Can, You Can Too, right? Talk to us about your inspiration for that and what it is.
1: Sure. My inspiration was is that I talked to a lot of people and it's amazing how my story would resonate with them. And for a while I was actually before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of ride sharing and that type of thing. And as I I took some of the rides, I would talk to the people, I would go to the gym. And I was to talk to them, and they said, Well, why are you going to the gym? I said, Well, you know, exercise, and I used to be 350 pounds. i said, say, what? And so what was amazing is that at the gym, probably a couple of weeks later, someone would come up to me and say, oh, you probably don't remember me, but I gave you a ride and I've lost about 20 pounds. And, you know, because basically what I say to them is that you're not going to lose 150 pounds overnight. But you can always make small changes. That's the most important thing is that I learned how to walk before I ran. So was I doing this in the gym? No. For the first few months, I was walking on my treadmill. And walking on my treadmill probably meant like five minutes on my treadmill, which was daunting at the time. Now, five minutes on the treadmill, is just like, huh? Mm-hmm. And I can remember doing on you know elliptical, I've got an elliptical, and I would swear it was broken because I could last a minute and that was it. And that was just fact, but talking to Uber drivers and you know, they would come back to me later and say, "Oh, I cut out drinking the sodas. You know, I cut out such and such, and I've lost this weight. And I say, that ah, that's great. And as I said, I've been connected with trifecta foods for a while and the owner of Trifecta, he said he had some really kind words to me. His name's Greg Connolly, and he said, Trey, especially with boomers, you resonate. And a lot of people see your story, and they think, well, if if he can do it, I can too. And I said, hmm, I like that. And I said, well, if I can, you can too. And so that's kind of how the, the name originated. But because I'm not a special athlete, you know, I'm just a guy who's been, you know, had a desk job most of his life and trauma and stress and sandwich generation, like most of the people out there that they can relate to the story where just slowly made changes in my life. And, you know, there's no reason why if I can, no one else can do it. I mean, I really believe That I haven't taken any special pills. I've just learned how to eat properly and I've learned to do it over time. So I encourage you to take a nice walk. You know, walk the dogs if you can. Just do something slowly. If you're morbidly obese, don't think you're going to change overnight and don't think you're going to be able to do a triathlon in a year necessarily. I didn't, but I just slowly did things to improve my health. And little by little, as I saw the improvement, it motivated me to do more. And the next thing I knew, I was out of my comfort zone and in my skivvies doing bodybuilding contests. How funny is that?
0: I just want to jump in here and reiterate something that Trey has mentioned repeatedly throughout this story. And that's the importance of taking small steps. Our culture has conditioned us to expect immediate results and many a workout plan or diet has failed because we're not seeing results fast enough. The thing I want to emphasize here is that small progress is still progress. And further, even very small changes over a long period of time can make for remarkable results. But this isn't sexy. Frankly, it's a hard sell for a lot of people, but patience and dedication will absolutely pay off in the long run. Keep in mind that Trey's weight loss journey took years. I asked Trey, what's next for him?
1: It's just getting these, the, if I can, you can too off the ground and motivating people. And, you know, when the pandemic is over, I'll be able to do that a little bit easier. But as I said, getting on podcasts like yours to get the word out, as well as to motivate people, because especially in this pandemic, we have a lot of people that have gained weight because if you're not outside, if you're not going to the gym, which most people can't, and you need to do something to improve your weight. Now, one of the things we did not even discuss now- and I was I- just
0: going to say, we never talked about your COVID. Yeah, your yep. COVID story.
1: Exactly. Yeah, hit us. Let's hear it. Okay. And I had COVID in the June, July time frame, And the blessing for me is that it was basically a non-event. Do I have risk factors? I'm African-American, I'm over 60, I've got asthma, chronic asthma, I'm type A positive, I've got a few risk factors, and guess what? I used to be morbidly obese, and so I'm not obese now, but I still have kind of a, it would be easy for the cytokine storm to attack me under the wrong conditions. And my kids and I were talking that, you know, if this had happened to me six years ago, I probably would be in a ventilator in a hospital. But did it impact my sleeping? Yes. But basically nothing else. And the blessing is that I have no long-term, no long-haul symptoms. And I came out of feeling strong and blessed. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that we don't, Emphasize enough is that if you're healthy, you lower the risk and the impact of anything, including COVID. I mean, that's those statistics show that. You know, now is there a story about a marathoner who got COVID and died? Yes. But those are anomalies. Right. For the most part, if you're healthy, it will not impact you as greatly as it would if you were obese.
0: And to your point, that goes for a lot of things, right? Being healthy and fit is going to make you more resilient, certainly in times of global pandemics, but for just the flu that's been around forever, right? For falls, we know that people who do resistance training have stronger and more dense bones and are quicker healers. So yeah, the more risk factors you can remove, the, the better your health is going to be overall and the better your chances of surviving something. And by surviving, I mean, obviously, surviving. Not, not just coming to it, but yeah. But having it not be as dramatic as it would be if you had a number of these other risk factors is certainly
1: going to be in your favor. Exactly. And that's the whole thing. I had a great talk with my pulmonologist because we were so oriented to you get a vaccine you take a pill. What's the best way to eliminate illness? Is to be healthy. It's to eat properly. It's to sleep properly. It's to try to get as much stress out of your life, which is not so easy. But all those things help and have proven to help have a long and healthy life. And one of my friends, we were talking and he said, Trey, well, you deserve to be happy. And you're right. You know, and uh, happy as this flows from health and being able to do things that, or you know, that you couldn't do otherwise. I mean, that's why I feel so blessed now. You know, I can do practically anything I, I want to. But, and I couldn't do that at age 40 or 50. I mean, I remember going to football games with my kids and I'd be out of breath. Something as simple as going to the amusement park was horrible for me because guess what? I was too fat to get on some of the rides. I mean, I can remember trying to go on the roller coaster and I couldn't because I couldn't fit into the cart. And that's not a good place to be if you want to be a good parent and have fun with your kids. You know, I don't know how many times I've just waited for them to get off the ride. I don't have to anymore. There's just a whole... Whole piece of my life and facet of my life I can enjoy that I couldn't enjoy before. And, you know, I just encourage people you're not going to stop being obese overnight, but if you really want to, and I realize some people don't want to, but if you want to, just be gentle with yourself and encourage yourself and slowly try. And my results are off the charts. But Is there a reason why you can't lose 20 pounds and keep it off? No. But there are simple changes, as I said. Just take a nice walk every night. Eat more asparagus. But more importantly, find what things you do like that are healthy. No one says you have to eat chicken and fish every day. As well as, you know, one of the things I did was change how I ate beef. I I usually have grass-fed beef, and I really think that makes a difference. Little things in terms of what food you put into your mouth. If I see a box and I can't pronounce what's on the side in the ingredients, I don't buy it. Just little things like that can add to your healthy lifestyle. But you have to be willing to make the change. No one can make the change for you. And, you know, you can rely upon some medicine and that type of thing, but that's no place to be if you don't, you know, if you don't want it. I mean, I just I just know my brothers and their strokes and my parents with their strokes if I can help it, or if I, you know, genes, you can't change genes, but you can certainly change your impact, the impact of your genes, and then your, lower your risk factors. And I want to do everything I can, and I have done a, a lot of what I can to lower my risk factors. I mean, my blood pressure is so much better than it ever was. I triglycerides I mean, all those numbers are so much lower than they were. I mean, I was pre-diabetic, no longer. And it's just it's just amazing what you can do with just changes in your diet and your lifestyle. And, you know, Kevin, when you're over 50 and 60, you know, you're not dead. And don't let anyone tell you you're dead. uh, Do I know what it's like to be a couch potato watching TV? Yeah. But I also know what it's like to not be one and to go take a nice walk and to read a book for improvement as well as just take some time for meditation and prayer, as well as talk to a counselor for mental health, especially during this pandemic, please do it. You know, one of the things I want to make sure is that people know that their phone number's out there, people that can help them if they have mental health issues. And be blessed that I don't have major mental health issues, but it was good for me just to figure out... uh, I mean, one of the things we didn't talk about, Kevin, is just that I don't see my weight loss the way other people do because it's dysmorphia. And so when I first lost the weight, I would go places and people wouldn't recognize me. So I a lot of my counseling was just to get used to the new person because psychologically, physically, I'm not the same, but also psychologically, I'm not the same. I'm much you know, I'm much more athletic, so I'm much I take better risk I take stronger risk I'm not afraid to jump at things as well as uh, I'll be places where people have no clue as to who I am they may have known me for 30, 40 years but until I open my mouth and they hear my deep voice, they have no clue and even when they do, they'll say I know that voice, but who are you? and that's very disconcerting but You know, that's why I needed to talk to mental health, because I had to figure out, well, is it okay? As well as it takes time for your mind to catch up to your body. And, you know, that's what dysmorphia is, is that, you know, I'm at the gym and I can look in the mirror and I, I don't see necessarily a person who weighs 185 pounds, which is really strange. Now am I catching up to knowing? Do I know it is? Yes. Do I know by the size of the clothes I wear? Yes. But that doesn't mean that that's what I see. And it just takes time. And, you know, There's no reason why you have to deal with all that alone.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's absolutely very well said. There's, there is no reason why you need to, to, to go through that all alone. There's certainly there's people out like you out there for inspiration and there's a lot of mental health professionals out there that are prepared for discussions. Just like as you were talking about my, my body changed. I think you said it took some time for my mind to catch up and that's very insightful. Well, Trey, as we're wrapping up here, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're an incredible inspiration. You're a fantastic ambassador for Healthy Aging, and I certainly wish you all the best in your future endeavors.
1: Kevin, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. This show is amazing. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and just the people you bring are just amazing, and you're proving that over 50 people can do it and, and have a healthy lifestyle. And do things and contribute to society. And, you know, too often we're kind of put by the wayside because people just assume, let's put grandpa in the corner. But no.
0: (laughs) That's right. No, not going to go quietly to the corner. I love it. Absolutely. Okay, folks. I hope you enjoyed hearing Trey's inspirational story. I'll drop all his contact info and social media contacts into the show notes, along with links to some of his YouTube videos. Be sure to check out Trey's website. It's if I can, you can too, dot com, and you'll find that link in the show notes as well. Trey is running a contest for listeners of this podcast. So, for the first 100 people that follow him on his Instagram account after this podcast airs, He'll do a drawing for one of his cool, if I can, you can too, coffee mugs. So make sure you check him out and give him a follow. Well, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends and please consider subscribing, giving us a five-star review. All the show notes and much more are available at our website at silver-edge.com. That's silver-edge.com. So until next time, stay strong.